overnight oats. What are they? Why do people <laughs> want them? I don't like my food just sitting around that long, you know? What exactly are they just oats that you like soak overnight? I don't know. I thought you would know. I have no idea. Well, I guess we're going to find this out this together. A, this is a great topic yeah. for us to just I, conversationally you know, I it, discuss. I think it's yeah. just oats that like soak in like some sort of dairy product like milk or yogurt. And it's just like, why would I want them moistened like that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I mean, I guess that's oatmeal is there, you know, you want them pretty mushy. Yeah, I just guess, yeah, I guess it's like rice pudding on steroids. And isn't that what we all want? It is. (laughs) No, I want rice pudding and steroids, Emily. (laughs) Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Every week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Kyle Imperator and Emily Moyers take you on an adventure through the weird, wacky, wonderful, and sometimes even wicked world of one wayside word. Strange characters, delightful bits, and general joyousness abound. Join them as they test each other's etymological expertise. Okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. Uh, I'm Emily Moyers, and I'm uh, on steroids. Oh, I'm Kyle Imperator, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and this is Butter No Parsnips that you're listening to. Yes, it is. Hey, Kyle, how's it going? Oh, you got you, you know. got anything new to talk about other than overnight oats? No. Why do you ask? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, thanks for yes ending me, Kyle, on that little bit there. I you watched... just said an abrupt no and said this is gonna this is gonna plug the scene along. <laughs> Emily, hey, I got a word for you today. <laughs> oh, thank goodness! Can you believe it? I can believe it because oh. you're supposed to, Emily. The word is Simon Pure. I now see that I was not ready to receive. <laughs> it's spelled S-I-M-O-N hyphen P-U-R-E. Simon it's a Pure. hyphenated word? It's a hyphenated word. It is. It can also be just spelled like a name. Simon Pure. Capital Simon Pure. S, capital P? Capital S, capital P. And no hyphen, just a space. Just a space. So that's just a, that's just a person, Simon Pure. Perhaps he's is he the spokesman for Clorox or something? <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, you're you're right in thinking that he is a person. He is a real human being. There, you would be incorrect. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'm narrowing in. Yeah. <laughs> what part of speech is Simon Pure? Simon Pure, in its hyphenated form, is an adjective, but yeah, it is a sense. noun when it's used as two separate words. Sure, yeah. I get that. Well, a noun as in it's a person. <laughs> uh, well, yes and. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kyle, much better. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to spend some time narrowing in on the fact that you said it's not a real human being, but let me get this hint first. Yeah, the hint is religiosity oh is simon pure a figure in the bible no or some religious text no he is not is he not a human being Uh, he 
is a human being in but not real in where he yeah it, correct he's a fictional human being okay but then his name as an adjective has something to do with religiosity correct yes okay wow all right so is a person can a person be described as simon pure in the adjectival form yes okay so a person is simon pure if they are just Squeaky clean in the moral sense. Emily, <gasps> is this the first time you've gotten one? I, wow. All right. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I meant I have a poor memory and I wanted to celebrate. Kyle <laughs> bent down and put his hands on his knees and said, Emily, is this the first time you've gotten one before? Good job, kiddo. I didn't mean it like Let's that. Let's put this right up on the fridge. <laughs> <laughs> You're not an idiot after all. I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) Play the theme music, but like it's being played on a child xylophone. (laughs) No, Emily, you got it. It was you did it. But ladies' month is over, I guess. It's canceled. You know, (laughs) it's just that's it. It's done. I did ask you what you were doing for for Kyle's month, and I guess it's just let me shit all over you. Um, so, so Simon Pure, tell me about this word, yeah. Kyle. So Simon Pure has two meanings as an adjective. Oh. Uh, one of them is- Man, of, so I didn't even get it all. I just got one. <laughs> you got the, you got a big one. All right. Thanks. <laughs> so it means of irreproachable virtue or integrity or uncompromising principles. Sure. And so as a noun, a Simon Pure is a person of irreproachable virtue or integrity or a person of uncompromising principles such as a zealot or a diehard. Simon Pure, like like using the, the last name Pure on purpose. Yes, exactly. And you're going to see just a little bit how on the nose that is. <laughs> sure. Okay. The adjective form also had a second meaning, which... I don't know. Do I want to tell you now or do I want to leave the surprise for later? Oh, mm. let's leave you it can... as a little surprise. We'll leave it as a little surprise. A little, a little present wrapped up on the table. We can't open it yet. So, Emily, Simon Pure is an eponym. Do you know what an eponym is? I feel like I do. Is that like a pen name? You sure? You probably have heard it from the word eponymous. Oh, like as in uh, what has been referred to. Uh, yes. Uh, like the thing in question is the eponymous whatever. Yes, 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 yes. It's That's a more figurative use of the word eponymous. Oh. Okay. Um, but eponym means a word formed from a name. Oh. Of a person, place, or thing. So when we say eponymous, it's usually like the titular or like the where we get the name from. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Off the bat, can you think of any eponyms? Oh. Uh... Besides Simon Pure? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, the the movie Titanic is about the eponymous boat. Sure. Uh, you could go even a step further, Emily, and say the name Titanic comes from the word Titanic, which is an eponym of the Greek Titans. <gasps> wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was a really could. good example, Emily. That's good. Was it, did you already have that written down? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but that's great. The examples I had were Bacchanalia, which we've talked about, named oh. after Bacchus. Yes, absolutely. And Dickensian, after Charles Dickens. Oh, sure. Right? Any of those. I, I love yeah. those like adjectives of people's names. Yes. 
Because it always changes where the emphasis is. <laughs> yes, where the emphasis is. Yeah, like Aristotelian means Arist- Aristotle. Yeah. So this eponym, Emily, is named for the character Simon Pure in Susanna Saint-Livre's 1717 play, A Bold Stroke for a Wife. Oh, I feel like I'm not going to like where this is going. I, it's not. It's harmless. Okay. So, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, the playwright is a Su- Suzanne, did you say? Susanna. Saint-Livre. That was her second or third married name. She had a lot of names. Sure. So, speaking of Dickensian, Emily, the plot of this play is this. Get ready. Okay, I'm buckled in. A military officer, Colonel Fainwell, seeks the hand of the fair maiden, Anne Lovely, in marriage. (laughs) Okay? These are all very on-the-nose names. (laughs) So (laughs) on-the-nose. Unfortunately, he learns from his friend Freeman that she must die a maid. (laughs) And this is like the fourth line of the show. So you're immediately like, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? And Fainwell responds and says this. That's somewhat odd in this charitable city. She's a woman, I hope. (laughs) Women can't die maids. They must marry. Is that what's being implied there? Yeah, something like that, I guess. Yeah, or maybe she's like a lady, like she's an adult, or I don't know. Oh my gosh. Then the tavern keeper, Sackbit, enters (laughs) and explains that Anne's father, the most whimsical, out-of-the-way tempered man he ever heard of, (laughs) detested her and wished her dead a thousand times. Wow, I mean, he doesn't sound very whimsical. (laughs) Sounds pretty dire. (laughs) Not like a Willy Wonka type figure. (laughs) I was picturing like like Belle's father from Beauty and the Beast, and (laughs) then I was not anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So he dies, and on his passing, he left her his fortune, provided she married with the consent of her guardians. But that she might be sure never to do so, he left her in the care of four men as opposite each other as the four elements. Oh, so they would never agree on a marriage? Exactly, Emily. You got it. Okay. All right. I'm seeing I'm seeing the farce coming together. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's that's the thrust of the five acts here. Yeah. And yeah. aside, Sackbit, the tavern keeper, the, yeah. a Sackbit is a Renaissance era trombone, Emily. <gasps> wow. Yeah. I mean, the next D&D tavern I write, you better believe the tavern keeps going to be Sackbit. Yeah. A Sackbit, Emily, comes from the French Sackebut, which <gasps> means push-pull, like what you would oh. do with a oh, part like of the a trombone. trombone. Yeah. Like the trombone arm. Yeah. These three men, Emily, then scheme to disguise Fainwell in a multitude of costumes and characters to try to win the approval of the four guardians. 18th century hilarity ensues. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. So was Simon Pure any of those people? No, he wasn't. Okay. And I'm sorry, but I have to explain more of the plot to get to the Simon Pure part. Boy, he's really deep in there, huh? (laughs) He is. He he doesn't show up until the fifth act, and it's crazy. Oh my gosh, we've got to go through all of that. (laughs) No, I'm skipping most of it because it's it's fun, but I just, we we don't have time for it. Sure. But what is uh, pertinent is that the worst of these guardians is a man named Obadiah Prince. 
Prim. Oh, Obadiah Prim. Obadiah Prim is a rigid Quaker that Anne is currently spending her requisite three months of the year with. Okay. Oh, she splits the three months amongst these four guardians. Like three months in one place and so on. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. He's a prickly fella, Emily. Uh, And he enters this play as his wife is trying to get Anne to dress more modestly Mm -hmm. and just says this on his entrance. Not stripped of thy vanity yet, Anne? Verily, thy naked bosom troubleth my outward man. Put on a handkerchief, Anne Lovely. I don't like... He describes putting on more clothes as getting naked of vanity. Not stripped of thy vanity yet. Well, yeah, you know. So Anne protests this as one would. Sure. Saying that she'd rather be killed than be treated this way. And Obadiah responds... Kill thee? Ha ha! Thou thinkest thou art acting some lewd play, sure, kill thee. Art thou prepared for death, Anne Lovely? No, no, thou wouldst rather have a husband, Anne. Thou wantest a gilt coach with six lazy fellows behind to flaunt it in the ring of vanity among the princes and rulers of the land who pamper themselves with the fatness thereof. But I will take care that none shall squander away thy father's estate. Thou shalt marry none such, Anne. Yeah. I forgot that her name was Anne Lovely. Until Anne you Lovely. Said it again. <laughs> and it just seemed it's really right. out of context. It's like a Popeye character. <laughs> yeah. So this sets up that Obadiah is going to be the most difficult of the Guardians to win over, obviously. Gotcha. Another aside here, Emily, I, wa- I was interested in, in the preponderance of these and vows in his language which was not the case with the rest of the characters in this oh, play. Oh, it's just him that talks like that? It's just him. <laughs> yeah. And it it turns out, Emily, that that's just how Quakers talked. Sure. I can believe that. Well, there's a reason why. Oh. It's because at the time, the social standards were that you would use the and thou when you were talking to those of a lower class. Oh. And the Quakers were just protesting that because they thought that everybody was awful. (laughs) So they just called everybody the and thou. Because they thought everybody was sinful. I love pessimistic equality. Yeah. (laughs) It's just crazy. Listen, let's treat everyone equally like they're all dirt. The Quaker slogan. (laughs) So, Fainwell's luck turns around, Emily, when Sackbit intercepts a letter intended for Obadiah Prim from a man named Aminadab Holdfast. I'm sorry, one more time. (laughs) Aminadab Holdfast. Give me a Aminadab. (laughs) Not not a huge dab, just a Aminadab. Give me a Aminadab. A minidab hold fast. So the letter reads, Friend Prim, there is arrived from Pennsylvania one Simon Pure, a leader of the faithful. I recommended him to thy house. I pray thee, treat him kindly and let thy wife cherish him, for he's of a weakly constitution. Just like he's sick? I guess, or just maybe he's just generally like a frail character i don't know (laughs) just one of those sickly folk that's always like pale of course then emily fainwell and company then plot to steal simon's identity to convince prim to sign a marriage contract that's where the plot goes from there okay i wasn't quite catching up with that again simon doesn't appear much in the play but the definition of simon pure more broadly comes from saint livre's 
depiction of the Quakers in the play and right. like through Prim, Obadiah, which like made Simon Pure a symbol of like this irreproachable virtue. So is Simon Pure also a Quaker in the in the play? Yes. Yeah. He's right. like the Quaker that Prim looks up to. So an example of Simon Pure being used like this was uh, the satirist John Walcott. He wrote under the pen name Peter Pindar, which is just a great pen name. (laughs) (laughs) Peter Pindar. In one of his lyric odes for 1785, he writes, Flattery's a mountebank so spruce gets riches. Truth, a plain Simon Pure, a Quaker preacher, a moral mender, a disgusting teacher that never got a sixpence by her speeches. (laughs) I liked a little like meter and rhyme of that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right, Em, are you ready for the second part of Simon Pure? Oh, there's more. But wait, there's more, folks. So this is how the play ends. Okay. In the fifth and final act. Fainwell arrives at Prim's home disguised as Simon. There's a brief introduction where Obadiah Prim inquires about Aminadab. <laughs> and he says, and also like how are like Aminadab and, and our friends, and he lists them, Timothy Littleworth, John Slenderbrain, and Christopher <gasps> Keep Faith. <laughs> Slenderbrain? I know you'd get a kick. Slenderbrain? <laughs> his name is Slenderbrain. <laughs> Like, um, implying that, like, he's dumb? I guess. Like, it's Timothy the whole play is a satire, <laughs> so, yeah, maybe. Wow. So, I'm sorry, a quick question. You said Simon Pure, like, he isn't mentioned at all until the fifth act, or he doesn't appear on stage? He doesn't appear act. on stage until the fifth act. The The plan comes together sooner than that, right? Yes, yeah, like Fainwell arrives dressed as Simon Pure in the fifth act. Okay. He and Anne pretend that the fake Simon has cured her, and she's now miraculously a Quaker. And so, like, yeah, so, like, Prim's like, oh, yeah, good, great. I can sign this marriage contract, right? Okay. What do you think happens next, Emily? The real Simon Pure walks in. It's like the birdcage. Emily, it's exactly like that. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you and there's, there's Fainwell in full drag. In full drag. <laughs> he does, he wears a lot of costumes in the show, but I don't think he does drag. But so both of them insist that they're the true Simon Pure, right? Absolutely. And then a letter arrives for Prim, and Fainwell notices it's in his friend Freeman's handwriting. The friend that initially wrote about Simon Pure? Uh, no. That was Aminadab who wrote that, that letter. Amazing. I'm sorry, there's yeah. so many characters. There's so many characters <laughs> in the show. But the letter says, There is a design form to rob your house this night and cut your throat. <gasps> and for that purpose, there is a man disguised like a Quaker who is to pass for one Simon Pure and did <gasps> not doubt but he should impose so far upon you as to make you turn out the real Simon Pure and keep him with you. Oh, that makes this so much more dire than it would have been otherwise. It really does, yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) So, Emily, it's from this sense that we get a phrase that has been used. Oh. Which is the real Simon Pure, referring to something that is the genuine article. Oh, I like that. Yeah, right? Like, Like the real McCoy. That's exactly what I have written here, Emily. Wow, like the real Simon Pure. I'm going to start the using that Simon one Pure. for sure. It's fun, right? That is fun. What happens, though? I'm <laughs> like oh. in such suspense right now. Oh, I mean, basically, Simon Pure leaves. The real one? Yeah, the real one leaves and is like, fine, I'll get proof. Uh. The uh, Prim signs the marriage contract. 
<laughs> the Simon Pure comes back is like, see, I'm real. And everybody's everybody in the play shows up at the house and they all realize they've been fooled and the two get married. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> Let's just tie it all up in a bow and everything's fine. Bow. Yeah. <laughs> So the phrase, the real Simon Pure, we see it used in works like there's a play from 1791 by John O'Keefe called Wild Oats, which coincidentally, yes, that's Mm -hmm. the only reason you asked about overnight oats at the beginning. (laughs) Well, yeah. And also because the play's about Quakers. So I was like, Quaker oats. Wow. All right. Never mind. I was about to be mad at you, but it's double connected. I understand. Isn't that great? Yeah. (laughs) So the play's also about Quakers and mistaken identity and a woman gaining an inheritance from her dead father. This other oats play? Yeah, and it was written like 70 years later, so I he, she he the guy must have taken, you know, inspiration. Sure. Sure. But one of the characters, Rover, it remarks on his potential to be caught and says, "Sounds, if the real Simon Pure that is should be arrived, I'm in a poor way." Hey. So he uses it pretty well. But Zounds in 1791, huh? So, I mean, I feel like Zounds in 1791 makes more sense than Zounds today. Uh, yeah, I just assumed it was like a 1950 thing, you know. Sounds like a Scooby-Doo thing, you know? Truly, that's the only context. (laughs) So, Emily, eponyms are interesting, right? Eponyms are super interesting. They're derived from proper nouns, so they often retain their capitalization, right? Yeah. An example besides Simon Pure would be Shakespearean. Yeah, right absolutely. of Shakespeare. Any of those. You mentioned this earlier, how you love, like, when it becomes an adjectival form— that is called a proper adjective when we make an adjectival form of a proper noun. And it's got like the capital yeah. letter. Over time, eponyms might lose their capitalization, oftentimes when they gain a new meaning, perhaps like a figurative meaning, as in the word quixotic, which could mean like Don Quixote, but also more figuratively unpredictable. Right? Sure. You know, what's another one. Vandalism was initially meant like the tribe, the Vandals, but now has a new meaning. So now you yes. don't capitalize the V. Yeah, we learned that from our good friend, Jess Safaris. Friend no, of the podcast. we didn't. We learned that from me in our Septemberize episode. So when we talked at the beginning of this episode about how bad my memory is. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> that's a part of it. No, it was, it was. Something about an estate. Villain. That's what we learned from her. It was another V1. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kyle. So, yeah. uh, Proper proper adjectives. Right. So, like Quixotic, Simon Pure lost its capitals for the adjectival form. And that's why it's Simon Pure hyphenated. Because it has like a a meaning beyond just like Simon. Yeah. It means genuine, authentic in that sense. Right. One of the earliest examples of that word being both lowercase and hyphenated is actually in Mark Twain's The Innocence Abroad. Oh. I don't know if you remember, we talked about it's his travel book yeah. that he wrote. Twain actually traveled to the Holy Land on a Pennsylvanian steamship called the USS Quaker City. <gasps> wow. Yeah, which is insane. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he describes camping out with his guides in the Holy Land. And he says, 
Soon the bell, a genuine Simon Pure bell, rang, <laughs> and we were invited to the saloon. Like the other tents, it was high enough for a family of giraffes to live in and was very <laughs> handsome and clean and bright-colored within. Those stately fellows in baggy trousers and turbaned fezes brought in a dinner which consisted of roast mutton, roast chicken, roast goose, potatoes, bread, tea, pudding, apples, and delicious grapes. They call this camping out. At this rate, it is a glorious privilege to be a pilgrim in the Holy Land. <laughs> I just love thing. how sassy he is. <laughs> He's so sassy, that Twain. Oh, he, it sounds like Twain has a better time traveling than uh, his traveling companion, Mr. Brown. Yes. <laughs> yeah, when he's by himself. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He's a lone traveler, that guy. Yeah. Emily, uh, Simon Pure had a bit of a moment, a, <gasps> a moment. resurgence in the Capital 1980s, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> when the U.S. Ambassador Robert Morris said, if we are not Simon Pure, we remain fairly credible about something about politics. I don't know. Sure. Not important. Okay. So the the meaning mm -hmm. of Simon Pure, meaning genuine, is more common than it meaning like morally upright? Yes and no, because oh. in this instance, it actually means upright. <gasps> oh, so he was quoted as saying such in a long-running etymological uh, column for the New York Times by William Sapphire, oh. and he defines it as untainted in that sense, gotcha. so, as in pure. So it started to take on a meaning, meaning pure again in the adjectival form in specifically in politics in the 1900s, in the 20th century. Gotcha. So politically uncorrupt. Uncorrupt, yeah. Okay. That's interesting that it's like circled back. You can always bank on the Quakers to get back <laughs> to the basics, you know? <laughs> sure. Uh, and speaking of back to the basics, Emily, that brings us wow. to the moment we all waited for. Uh, can you use Simon Pure in a sentence? Okay. Can I use Simon Pure in a sentence? For sure I can. Let me just think about it. Everybody okay. hold on to your butts. <laughs> Real good sentence coming Not at you. <laughs> Any second now, it's brewing. Um, all right. All right. Ready? Yeah. When I make my oatmeal cookies, I don't mm. like to use any knockoff brand quote oats. I like to use the real Simon Pure Quakers. That is perfect, Emily. <laughs> that is such a good use. And you know what Quakers is, Emily? Uh... Uh, a, an eponym? I mean, you could if you just use it in the sense of oatmeal. Got my Quakers here. There we go. I got it. I got it. I it took it. a minute, but I got there. Ladies and gents and variations thereupon, we did it. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, this was a great okay. word, Kyle. Do you have any games that we can play? <laughs> I do. I have a game for you. Thank goodness. The game is called The Pilgrim's Progress, Emily. <gasps> this sounds like a board game from the early 2000s. <laughs> I, I mean, I would be very religious if it were. <laughs> um, so, Emily, as we've learned, eponyms often come a long way from the proper noun that they're named for, right? Yeah. I'm going to give you a name in this game, and you're going to have to tell me the eponym that has traveled from that name. Ooh, I like this. I like this. I okay. like this. They're pretty easy, so I think you'll be able to get them. All right. I hope I do. So your first name is the activist Amelia Bloomer. Oh, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to make a big swing here. And if I'm yeah. wrong, it's going to be bad. Uh, yep. 
<laughs> is it bloopers? You got it, like, Emily. Like, like, like hosiery? Like hosiery. Yes, you got it exactly. Wow, thank goodness. <laughs> so there was this like fashion craze in the 1850s and in, in like 1850 where it was called like the Turkish dress. They they got the fashion from Turkey where it was like a long dress with kind of like pants underneath it, big puffy pants, pantaloons. Yeah. yeah. The bloomer craze hit America in the summer of 1851 after the journalist Amelia Bloomer promoted the style in her temperance journal, The Lily, which oh. was the first U.S. newspaper edited by and for women. Wow. Yeah. And they just named it after her. They just named it after her. They called it the Bloomer. The Bloomer. Wow. That's fun. Yeah. Okay. Your next one, Emily, is the French soldier Nicolas Chauvin. Oh, Chauvin. Yes. Oh, no. Is it chauvinist? It's chauvinist. Oh, no. (laughs) And chauvinism. Yes. Oh, boy. What a thing to be remembered for. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, truly. Uh, we don't. We actually don't know if this guy's a real guy, but supposedly after the Napoleonic Wars ended and Bonaparte abdicated the throne, this Nicolas Chauvin infamously remained single-mindedly dedicated to the causes of Imperial France, even <laughs> though no one else was. <laughs> so his name became synonymous with extreme patriotism, and our male chauvinism is, you know, for being. Extremely like, dedicated to yeah. the, the male cause. Yes, yes. Maybe even when no one else is, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> wow. Happy Kyle's ha- month. Happy Kyle's <laughs> month. Speaking of happy Kyle's month, Emily, <laughs> your last clue is Ooh. the Italian cook, Alfredo Di Lelio. Oh, is the first name more important there? It is. <laughs> is it Alfredo si. sauce? <laughs> Was that just, you segued that in for speaking of Kyle's month because it's Italian food? See, si, signora. <laughs> wow, Johnny Alfredo sauce. <laughs> well, really, Freddy Alfredo sauce. <laughs> Wow. So Emily Delelio founded the restaurant Alfredo alla Scrofa in oh. Rome in 1914, and he invented a dish he called fettuccine al triplo burro, uh, three meaning butter. Yeah, three butter. butter. Yeah, yeah, because he made it for his wife and. Because he loved her so much, he put extra butter in it. <laughs> and it later was named after him, Alfredocine huh. Alfredo. But did he have like the cream and stuff in it too, or just a load of butter? <laughs> I could not find that out. I didn't look hard enough though, so possibly. That's fair. You yeah. know, listen, guys, sometimes we write these episodes uh, feverishly in the feverishly. days before we record. <laughs> And that is, I won't admit that on camera, but it's definitely true for this one. <laughs> but Kyle, it was a good one, nonetheless. Thank you so much, Emily. Great I'm word, happy great game. That you're happy. Thanks. I'm so happy. Good. Remember, you can find Butter No Parsnips on social media, on Facebook and on Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast. And if you like today's episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating or review wherever you heard us. And if you really like today's episode, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. Donating $5 or more earns you a shout-out either on social media or here on the podcast. So thanks so much to all of you. You help us make what we make. And with that, I've been Kyle D'Imperatore. (laughs) And I've been Emily Moyers, and this has been Thrice Buttered. 
Thrice no buttered, no parsnips. Bu- parsnips. Uh, Thrice buttered. Di tri- tripro buro. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Butter No Parsnips. Butter No Parsnips is produced by Seth Glicksman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator. The theme music and additional music is by Kyle Imperator. If you liked listening to this episode, subscribe and give us a good rating and or positive review wherever you heard it. If you really liked listening, consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash butternoparsnips. There you can get bonus content you can't get anywhere else, like the monthly Patreon-exclusive podcast Buttered Parsnips. Your support means the world to us and encourages us to keep making more. Thanks in advance, and we'll be back next week.